You're listening to The Unifying Call, where we share the voices of our hospital, clinicians and leaders. These are stories to inspire kindness and courage in the face of COVID, presented by Western Health. I'm Cathy Somerville. Those are the sounds you hear when you enter the basement of Sunshine Hospital. It's the engine room of the building. When the major hospitals where you work are facing the prospect of an onslaught of COVID-19 patients, and your role includes overseeing the teams preparing life-saving equipment and the engineering, biomedical, cleaning and telecommunications requirements for readiness, that's a heavy responsibility. Susie Demir heads up the logistics teams at Western Health, who've been preparing for all contingencies, including the worst case scenario, Surge 4, that we all hope never comes. We cross paths with patients all the time in, in what we're doing, you know, just generally walking through the hospital. And it's nice being able to build something fix something and see the direct impact on patient and patient care. Um, I know, you know, when you look at engineering services, to some it might mean, you know, fixing taps or fixing mechanical or getting beds ready, but the result and the end result is quite clear when the patient in the patient rooms are using the facility and the outcomes. The COVID crisis has obviously frightened many people around the world, including those of us who work in healthcare and hospitals mm-hmm. and in such a large health service as ours. How did you look ahead and think, oh, this is going to be difficult for us? What were your initial thoughts when the pandemic was, let's say, gearing up? Yeah, it, it was really an unsettling feeling and it, I guess it was shared amongst the workforce. Initially, we heard from our head of infectious disease, Marianne Craner, and she was quite clear in what was happening around the world. It wasn't scary. She was just really factual. And she helped us say, you know, this is okay and we're going to work through it together as a team. We did see a lot of, I would say, news reports coming out of Italy, coming out of Wuhan. And so by seeing the news and hearing from Marion, we were able to prepare and start our plans. You know, we, there's been about four weeks now that we've been able to really look at our facilities and test equipment and to be innovative. I know that in a time of crisis, it's, it's interesting that we're talking about innovation, but we're really looking at everything. It's really hard to make plant and equipment sound exciting, especially to a clinical team. But I can walk away at night feeling really comfortable that we're looking in a lot of detail to all our equipment, making sure that it works. And if there's any deficiencies, we're fixing them. Your role is actually really important, having been myself in many of the kind of command centre meetings, that kind of thing. I know that the work that your teams are doing is incredible and, in fact, the additional ward spaces were they to be needed or if they're to be needed in the future, they couldn't even open without the support of your teams. Yeah. You must feel fairly proud of that. Yeah. The team is feeling a sense of they're agile, they're responsive, 
Uh, they have adrenaline. They are just delivering really great work at the moment. Once we commission a new ward, we are already planning the next. There's a lot involved in activating a new ward space. Uh, there's carpentry work, there's new medical equipment, there's pharmacy fridges and shelving, consumables, there's furniture, then there's a review, a clinical clean. It's not a, an easy process of just getting a ward online. And I guess I just hope that I do the team justice because they have been working extremely long hours and even weekends to set up the respiratory clinic, wards, and to help ICU with their plans. I think some of the turnaround times have been so short when you've been expected to be able to open an entirely new area, maybe only a couple of days. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah, so some ward activations are easier than others because they could be existing facilities. A good example is one of our facilities was um, originally a sleep lab, so it had uh, medical air already, there was vinyl, it was set up as a ward environment and we had to do minimal to turn it around. In other areas, it could have been a shell. So it just depends on what we're looking at with the timelines. However, with the team spirit, and I would say, I would like to say the Western way and the culture at Western Health, uh, we are all working quite hard and together with not only engineering, IT, supply and stores, and also health support. Did you feel a real sense that we had a collective responsibility to protect the lives of our own colleagues by making sure everything was ready as well? Definitely. Our colleagues are our friends. Not only that, the clinical team is so engaged in everything that we're doing. They have such great ideas with what we can do with space, how we can use the space. They're also assessing the wards themselves and, say, and coming up with different ideas. At times we can do and, and implement their ideas and at other times we can't. So a sense of responsibility to the colleagues, yes, definitely. We have a duty of care to the patients and also to the community. We're all in this together and we're all affected by COVID-19. It's not just at work, but it's also our personal lives. And so I think that culture shift and, and the unity is really strong at the moment. Do you look across to what you see happening in places like New York City, for example, or as you mentioned, Italy, and have a level of fear about the impact here? Have you done enough? Have we done enough? Oh, Catherine, I'm constantly doing research and I think my husband is getting a little bit stressed with the conversation in our household because he's not he doesn't have an infrastructure background and I know at the very beginning I was sleep talking at night talking about ICU in my sleep so I'm definitely constantly thinking I'm not switching off at the moment which is fine because you know there's some really good good ideas um when I go home tell me some of your best ideas Oh, some of my best ideas. Okay, so, and generally happens when you're asleep or in the shower, I find. <laughs> some of my best ideas have been to test the oxygen. So we received a lot of emails from um, the clinical teams requesting what, how is our oxygen? Will it cope with the additional patients? And just walking through the questions and trying to get answers for them because I want them to feel comfortable. I want them to feel as though 
the infrastructure we have in place will support them, especially in a time of crisis. We decided to test the oxygen at Sunshine ICU, theatres and recovery to the point of failure. And the great news is it didn't fail. We also did that at Footscray Hospital. Was it it even allowing for extra capacity and extra patients in very large expansion? Yes, yes. So we allowed for high usage. We tested them all at the same time and it didn't fail. If you think about the kind of scenarios we're hearing about in New York City at the moment where there are very many patients all on ventilators, all on on oxygen, Mm -hmm. then there even feels to the uninitiated like there's a lot of engineering behind that. Mm -hmm. So that must be part of your sense of responsibility. Yeah, and we're creating contingency plans in engineering. Uh, An example is BOC who supply our oxygen. They have advised that healthcare facilities are prioritised during this time. We've put an alarm in place so if the oxygen ever drops 40%, we're notified immediately and then we can top up the oxygen. We have increased medical suction at both Footscray and Sunshine. We have changed the UPS batteries at Footscray. We have reviewed all UPS, which is unlimited power supplies, so the blue power points in in the wards. We have checked our generators. We have ensured that the fuel is topped up. So what's your worst fear then? Because it sounds like all of those are designed to try to head off your worst fear. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to prepare so my worst fear doesn't come to life. And I guess I fear that the infrastructure will, will be okay. My fear is, I guess, is there ever enough planning? Is there ever enough planning? At what point do you feel satisfied that you've done enough and you've prepared enough? And I think my fear is whilst I'm preparing, and I'm reading guidelines from the USA and I'm reading guidelines from Italy and, and um, Department of Health in Victoria. Is that enough? Is there anything more that I can learn to do to our facilities? I think that's my fear. And I know it's a, a bit of an odd because you can only do the best you can, but you always, I guess, when you, you want to make sure everything's okay and everyone feels safe, you always double-guess yourself. Something to consider with ICU and theatres and some of the COVID wards that have been identified is that we've been able to test the mechanical infrastructure and ensure that it's negative pressure. And you might be thinking, oh, what's negative pressure? And negative pressure is the condition of our isolation rooms to ensure that bacteria doesn't come out of the isolation rooms. So we've been able to have isolated wards Whole wards. So 3E and 3F in Sunshine have, we've been able to turn them into negative pressure. That's quite a huge achievement, I think. Yeah, definitely is. Because normally it's just individual rooms, isn't it? Definitely is individual rooms. And whilst we have individual rooms in on 3F and we have individual rooms in Sunshine ICU, we've also been playing with the mechanical infrastructure in the background to ensure that the space is isolated from the adjacent areas. So I have this impression that behind the scenes is a very interesting kind of place while you're trying to work all these things out. Mm. Lots of wires or what does it look like? Uh, It's a lot of fans and coils and testing. 
our contractors that we've used for many years are really stepping up and saying we can help. Do you think that your your staff realise that they have a role in the saving of lives in all of this? I do because they are just so driven at the moment. They're really driven to ensure everything is delivered correctly and on time and if there is a demand that we're here to provide that support. Susie, what are some of the most confronting issues that your teams have had to be asked to deal with in the planning? Well, to be honest, I think some of the confronting issues that we're dealing with is coming to work, delivering and delivering quickly when the virus is evolving and we don't know how it will be next week whilst at the same time the team have different challenges that they're all experiencing at home in their personal lives. So I do believe that with the collective knowledge that we're sharing and the collaboration amongst capital, IT, biomedical and engineering, that our infrastructure will be okay. I'm just worried that my team is quite challenged at the moment. We're doing very long hours and we're making sure that the delivery is occurring and on time and ready to go live. But at the same time, we're working on quite a lot of adrenaline to get it done. Do you feel like they're worried that if they don't do everything correctly, that we will have a situation as we've seen so tragically in places like Italy or New York City? Well, I think they have a sense of responsibility and we all do and they care. And I think that that's something to really stress that the engineering services team care about their infrastructure. They want it to push boundaries. They want to increase the capacity so we're able to expand our services I, they, they want to care for patients in their way. Yeah, exactly right. We're, we're caring for patients behind the scenes. And it, it's just fantastic to see the team really push all this infrastructure out. But I'd also like to touch on Switchboard because initially Switchboard was really the first team affected by COVID-19. We were coming into work and, and they were receiving 500 calls a day. I know that went up at one point to around a thousand. Yes. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. And so at times we've got three people dedicated to the hotline. And when you're receiving five to five hundred to a thousand calls a day, it can be exhausting. And when you're answering the calls, there's fear on the other line and concern and stress. We wanted to make sure that we were giving out the right information. And the switchboard is quite critical on themselves and, and they take a lot of pride in their work and they want to make sure that they were delivering a, a service to the community where the right information was going out. Do they have any times when they were really overwhelmed and were distressed because of some of the calls they were receiving from worried people? Definitely. I remember speaking to one of my colleagues and, you know, a caller was not happy that they couldn't get tested and they had to calm them down and explain why and that wasn't received well. I guess it's worth noting that they were able to turn around and talk to their colleague and and just say this has happened and I can't believe that I couldn't offer more support and it's about saying you've done a great job it's it's okay and you know we're in a time of a pandemic. 
and there's no right and wrong. We're just we're just following the information that we have. They've got a huge team spirit down there. I really feel for your teams when I hear at some of the command centre planning meetings, some of the things, some of the tasks on the list for the logistics team. And I must say one of those that always affects me is the need for you to plan for refrigerated trucks. Yes. That's pretty hard. The mortuary expansion conversation has been really uncomfortable and no one wants to have that discussion. But you guys don't have a choice. We it's don't have a choice, yes. Really hard for you. And, and I, we're definitely exploring how we expand our existing mortuary facility. We're discussing mobile options. We're, we're discussing refrigerated options which are on site. Um, and we're seeing these in New York at the moment. Yeah, and they're in New York. And we're also hearing from New York and Italy saying, make sure you plan for this. And so we are definitely reviewing and implementing these changes. It's a very uncomfortable conversation to have, but we just don't want to be unprepared. How do you decide who does that kind of work? Because it probably isn't the normal kind of work that anyone in the team has to do. Yeah, very good point, Catherine. It's, it's, I don't think anyone in health support services or the capital development team has ever planned a mortuary expansion for a pandemic like this. We also are very mindful that with our expansion, we want it to be quite private. Mm. We want to ensure that we have the same duty of care to when we're not in a pandemic. In this race to prepare and to ensure that our infrastructure and facilities are working and that they will maintain the increase in capacity. I guess it's to also be mindful about what we're all feeling at this time because it's affecting everyone at work and personally. The cleaners are definitely in the front line in in health support services and they are doing a brilliant job. You also mentioned before the race for delivery and I think that is something I can relate to I know that it was mid-January when Western Health started planning for its response to this probable pandemic because at that time our infectious diseases experts were saying that they felt this absolutely would happen. Yeah. And in fact their predictions were really remarkably accurate. And I also think that feeling of racing to make sure you haven't forgotten things, you haven't missed anything, is there anything more we could do Mm. to prepare to help our clinical colleagues and to help our patients to try to head off these terrible, huge numbers of deaths we've seen. I think that's been a big weight on everyone's shoulders, hasn't it? It has, and I think we're all carrying that weight together. We're hearing some of the difficulties the clinical team is having and the health support services team is also having the same difficulties. We are trying to prioritise the work and make sure it all gets done and it's not easy because you've got the weight of I've got to do it all and I've got to do it now. Um, we also don't know how the virus is evolving until the data gets released every day. Do you worry that about the period when we need to eventually, when those restrictions are relaxed a little, are you concerned about sudden spikes in cases, suddenly having to open something that you thought you might have had time or are you still feeling well and truly ready for that? I definitely think we're becoming 
I'm not concerned about the sudden spike. I think our facilities, our infrastructure, our plant, we're all, we're testing. Uh, Medical equipment, we're testing. How do you think things will change when we get to the other side, for want of a better description? Uh, The other side. I'm actually worried about the other side because we need to swap everything back. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of work in changing and activating wards, but then there will be a lot of work in reverting the clinical spaces back to what they originally were. Have you noticed any particularly moving gestures that you've uh, observed in the recent weeks here? What I have observed is, you know, a, a culture shift that we're all working towards one one thing, and that is overcoming the pandemic. Whilst it's quite unsettling what we're going through, uh, I guess one thing that is quite, you know, when I go home at night and I think about it is we're all in this together. I don't, I hope not. I don't think we ever have to experience something like this again. But just to see everyone's willing to help. Everyone's willing to go above and beyond. There's nothing too big or too small that the staff aren't willing to do. And I think those little gestures in how we approach one another and how we deliver our work has been amazing. Do you think there'll be some silver linings from this? The clinical team and health support services are working so well together. Now that we're preparing, we've been able to gain access. We're creating new friendships and hearing their struggles and seeing how we can help. When you looked back to, say, maybe eight weeks ago when we really were extremely concerned that we we had no reason to think we wouldn't be hit in the same way, perhaps at the moment we were more optimistic, what did you think then? What did you feel then? Maybe will this happen, will this hit us like it's hit Wuhan? Will this hit us? And then it was like, will it hit us like it's hit Italy? I've been amazed at just the sheer scale of preparation that's been required based on what many of our colleagues around the world have experienced. Extreme amount of preparation. Would you agree with that? Definitely. It has been a a real collective response and there's just been an overwhelming amount of work to get things online. If we had been hit as hard as New York, for example, and let's say we are hopeful that that won't be the case, do you still feel like we would have been well prepared? I think that we're, we are definitely working, the logistics team and the infrastructure team, we're working to ensure that we're prepared as if we're going to be hit like New York. We are planning for a surge four. Surge four being the maximum level of uh, planning and surge capacity. Exactly right. It's quite astonishing when you look at what the surge four means. Can you maybe explain for people what that essentially means? A surge four, how I can explain clearly, is a a lot of presentations of patients with COVID-19 into our emergency department. It would mean our intensive care units are at capacity. And expanded significantly and still at capacity. Expanded significantly internally and at capacity. It would mean that we're planning to expand and by this stage, being Surge 4, we would have already expanded our emergency department to allow for a flow of respiratory and non-respiratory patients. 
health support services and engineering are preparing for surge four. So we have plans in place to ensure that if that was to occur, we can expand. We do have infrastructure solutions for our hospitals to expand and to expand quickly. When you think of the description surge for what's an alternative way do you think to describe what that would be like? Surge for would be crisis. Surge for Catast- crisis, yeah. Catastrophic. Yeah. It's a worrying thing, isn't it? Nobody wants to see it get to four. Nobody wants to see it get to four and the data is quite optimistic at the moment. However, that doesn't slow down our response and planning. If if we stop responding the way we're responding, we become complacent and we don't want to become complacent. We have plans in place to activate all surges up to surge four. And at the moment, we're not near surge four. So there's a sense of calmness. But the calmness that we're feeling in health support is that we're ready and that we can activate. Do you think that at the end of all of this, your team would feel we really did help prepare to save lives? I honestly believe that they're already feeling that way. They're they're already going home at night and they can see physically the changes that they're they're bringing into the facility and onto our plant. You know, I've spoken to my colleagues and I've said to them, what are you proud of? And they can, they've got lists, lists and lists and lists of items that they're proud of their delivery. And do they see a connection to patients in that? Definitely. They definitely do. Where they see a, they see, um, a connection to patients when respiratory clinic got activated it was busy on that day. We had, within the first 20 minutes, we had 20 patients. Have there been any funny moments along the way? Sense Probably got a few jokers among your staff. Oh, we do. I think everyone's having a bit of a laugh, not taking themselves and the stress too seriously, going home at night and switching off. A lot of people are sharing their stories. You know, even myself, if I walk anymore and if I take my dog for a walk, Again, he's just going to look at me with these eyes saying, please don't take me for another walk. Um, and I think we've all got those stories because we're all in lockdown when we go home. So there's only so much you can do. Yeah. And one of those things is walking the dog. Yeah, one of the things is walking. <laughs> walking the feet off the dog. I know, little Lenny. I'm doing, I'm doing 10 to 20,000 steps a day and he's looking at me going, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> <laughs> he's part of the Susie team. Well, good luck, Susie, to you and all of your team. Thank you. And thank you, Catherine, to your team as well. You're doing a remarkable job with communication. Oh, thanks very much. Thanks, Susie. This has been The Unifying Call, presented by Western Health. Please share this episode with five colleagues so these stories can reach and inspire more people. For more information, follow the links in the podcast description.